Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. Hey, everybody, I'm Janice McDonald. Welcome to the Fearless Women podcast. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Tanya Van Beeson to the show. As Executive Director of Catalyst Canada, she's responsible for the growth of Catalyst in Canada. She works closely with CEOs, senior executives, and supporter organizations across the country to accelerate progress for women through workplace inclusion. Welcome, Tanya, to the show. Thank you, Janice. I'm delighted to be here. And thank you and welcome to our listeners from around the world, including USA, UK, Ireland, Italy, Australia, and so many more countries. We want our community to grow. So please tell your friends and follow us on Instagram. Thanks also to our amazing sponsors, 30% Club Canada, BDC, Lockheed Martin, Export Development Canada, and ADGA. So, Tanya, one day I check my mail at home and who do I see on the cover of the Smith School of Business magazine? A gorgeous picture of you. Why does recognition matter for women leaders? Recognition matters so much, uh, not just for women leaders, all kinds of leaders, women of color, men of color, all, all of us, because we need to normalize a new version of leadership. We need to be able to see in in its various forms what leadership can look like, which means different shapes, sizes, colors, genders. And for so many years, I think our media, the media that we've consumed has shown us one form of leadership, but we haven't had enough exposure to other forms of leadership. So as much as I don't necessarily relish being on the front of a magazine, I do think it's very important that we are all exposed to these different images so that we can start to get away from talking about a woman leader or a black leader or a leader with a disability and just talk about leaders. Love that. Absolutely. So, and maybe one day Catalyst can be out of business, but in the meantime, you've got oh, lots God, to I do. Hope so. I hope <laughs> so, so. so tell us about Catalyst and uh, what does it mean for Canada, the work that you and the organization are doing? So we are, we're a global not-for-profit and our mission is to work with organizations to create more equitable, inclusive and fulfilling workplaces where all women can thrive. And so When I distill that down to a single message, it's all about talent, talent, talent. In fact, if I could do away with two words, Mm -hmm. it would actually be diversity and inclusion because all of this really is about recognizing that talent comes in all forms and that if we're truly serious about talent and leadership, then we are going to open our aperture as widely as possible to, to identify, recognize, engage, motivate that talent to be part of our organization. So to me, it's all about building the talent capacity for the country. Yeah, that makes total sense. We had 
two different people from uh, Shopify on the show, Anna Lambert mm-hmm. and Brittany Forsyth, and they both talked about a competitive advantage for Shopify has been that they widen the aperture for what talent is and can be at Shopify. And of course, uh, <laughs> they're leading with this smart yeah. strategy. They've so you're absolutely successful. right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't we all want to bring our full selves to work? Absolutely. I mean, that is, that's, that's how we can be most creative, most productive, most engaged, most motivated. If you have to sort of leave part of yourself out at the door, which is interesting. I mean, we, we used to talk a lot about checking certain things at the door. Don't bring that into the workplace. Don't bring this into the workplace. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say that that conversation has changed, but the true acceptance of that is still a work in progress. I think also when we think about workplaces currently and we've got multi-generations, you know, in the workplace at one time, that adds uh, an interesting dimension and and challenges really to um, how that acceptance can play out at times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about a recent time when you were fearless or at least bold. Mm -hmm. And do you have a favorite (laughs) mantra or saying that uh, you kind of rely on to push you forward? Well, first, I would say I wish I was fearless. And I've listened to so many of your podcasts. And I think, oh, gosh, I wish I was this or that or I am not fearless. I am. I wish I was. Uh, So I, I, that's my, my true, honest confession. Okay. Uh, But I think I have been bold. I think I have been bold over the (laughs) course of my life. I was going to say, I'm sure if you, if you say you're not bold, then no, I'm not going to buy it. So, okay. Tell me more. No, I, I, I think I have been, I mean, I, so if I reflect on my career journey thus far, and I'm now 50, so I I've had a, a decent journey. Gosh, uh, five years into my time in professional services, I was up for partnership in the global firm. Which is a big deal. Yes. In that context, it was a big deal. Yeah. And I was up alongside another Canadian colleague, a male colleague of mine, who he and I had joined the firm in the same year, and we had contributed equal value in all respects. And so we were both part of the process that year. And I was pulled aside during the process by one of the senior partners who sat me down and said that my path to partnership was being challenged by some because there was some concern that as a mother of two children, I might not be able to keep up the pace of travel Uh, that was expected mm -hmm. of someone in a global firm. And I will tell you, I left that meeting in a panic, in a huge panic thinking, this is completely going off the rails. And so I sort of collected myself. I sat down and I literally cataloged the prior five years of travel that I had undertaken on behalf of clients. And two days later, I went back to that partner and I, and I made my case and I made partner. Aha. Now what was beautiful. So, so that's, that's the good news. <laughs> I'd, I'd like I'm, to call I'm, it fearless, but anyways, we can accept bold. Yeah. Well, if that's, I, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I'm, on, I'm Tanya, happy this to is report amazing. I took that step, mm-hmm. but I, you know, my colleague who was a father of three, nobody asked him that yes, question. I know. Right. And, yeah. and that's, and that was a, that was a bit of a turning point for mm-hmm. me in, in the, hmm, gee, what, what's really going on here. And so that sort of cascades, Although it was a number of years later, um, I left a seven-figure job 
to move into not-for-profit, which mm-hmm. I think is, you know, some might call it bold and others might call it stupid. Um, but I'd put it in the well, I'd say thank category. you because we need that kind of skill and uh, and deep knowledge in our nonprofit sectors because it's so important. The work that Catalyst is doing, yes, it's global, but you know, in the Canadian context, like this is so important. So I'm glad to say yeah. that we can count you as a champion in this important discussion. Oh, well, thank you. And then I think, I mean, I think I've been bold in our growth aspirations for Catalyst. So in, I've been here three years, we've had 20% growth in each year in terms of adding new companies into the Catalyst community. Mm -hmm. And it's really critically important that we continue to bring companies in because it's only when we actually kind of get in there and start working with them that we can truly affect workplace systemic and cultural change. And that's really what we're all about. And can you mention what the Catalyst Accord is? Yeah, so the Catalyst Accord is uh, is uh, it's really a pledge, and it was created in 2012, and then we we re-upped it after five years. So we um, what we ask companies to do is to um, pledge to help Canada get to over 30% representation of women on boards and over 30% representation of women in executive roles by 2022. Now, uh, we, we don't require each company to be at 30%. In fact, there are some companies that sign the accord that are at 40% or higher, and we certainly wouldn't want them to downgrade their aspirations. No, my goodness. And then we have, <laughs> right, and then we have other companies that are starting at a point of 10%, and they may not get all the way to 30%. But what we do ask companies to do is to actually set targets and measure their progress against those targets year over year mm-hmm. so that we're collectively lifting all boats. So important. And, and I, But I do have a mantra. Can oh, I share my mantra with you, 100%. Jen? I want to hear it. Okay. Well, it's probably not that exciting, but it's the thing that does keep me really focused mm-hmm. is that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And of course, many others have used that. But I, I, one thing that I have realized in the transition from for-profit to not-for-profit is that social change doesn't come overnight. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to keep the companies we work with focused and the team that I am blessed to work with focused is you really have to chunk out the aspirations into smaller pieces and and take a bit of a longer view of of societal and cultural change. I think that also comes with wisdom, Tanya, because if yeah, I, th- you age. know, yeah, an <laughs> age, because if I uh, go back to 1992, when uh, with my first graduate degree, I did my thesis on women on boards in Canada. That's 1992. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people weren't talking about it. And I felt like, hey, I've just written a book here with all the answers. So this problem should be solved next week. And, you know, you're absolutely right. It takes time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. intention. And Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, mentors and champions, um, Mm -hmm. how have they have they been important in your life, in your career? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I suspect anyone who's had any challenges in their lives and any modicum of success would have to admit that they've had 
help along the way. We've all had help along the way. So I absolutely for me and I, I will, I mean, I will credit my parents. Both my mother and father were great. And I, I'm a product of three. I'm the third of three kids mm-hmm. and two with two older brothers. And, and we were given not only equal opportunity to thrive and succeed, but we, we were given the same set of expectations. So there were never any gendered expectations in my family. So that mm-hmm. was a great foundation. Um, but I would also credit both my best boss and my worst boss. <laughs> and I, and I think it's, it's not the for same person who have had, <laughs> right? Yeah, for those who have had a best and a worst, yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully more people have had best, but yeah. I, I think there's always something to be learned from those less than positive situations. And, you know, when I reflect on one in particular, this person is not someone who I would relish having a coffee with or a beer with after work, mm-hmm. um, because it was a challenging work relationship. However, um, I would credit that individual with giving me more than enough rope to hang myself. (laughs) And through that opportunity, I grew immensely. And so that, that was its mentorship. I think we always think that these things are going to come in great packages and feel good. And, you know, there's, kind of a lot of kindness and support. But oddly enough, I think you can also find those great formative learning experiences in the muck. Mm-hmm. You can learn from the ugly, absolutely, if, if you have the courage <laughs> to, you know, because first sometimes you have to lick your wounds and then yeah, say, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it might take some time and distance, but I, I would absolutely, I do think of that person often when people say to me, what's been formative in your career? Mm-hmm. And without a doubt, that was formative and has has propelled me forward in various ways. So what's your advice then for ambitious women? Well, uh, my advice is threefold. And I think ambitious women, again, come in all forms and shapes and sizes and I'm reminded of that. I I volunteer with uh, Covenant House and there we meet young women who have had real setbacks in their lives, but boy, they're not short on ambition. So I would say first, dream big and certainly never apologize for your ambition. That would be number one. Um, Number two is share your ambition with others. And what I mean by that is identify other talented people. Uh, including, and very importantly, ones that don't look and sound like you and find ways to bring them along with you. Mm-hmm. And then number three, I would say pace yourself because back to my mantra, life is a marathon and not a sprint and you you can't get it all done at once. Uh, so you do have to think about, well, how can I achieve what I want to achieve? It may not all come in 2020, So it may come in stages, and that means I need to, as my father-in-law used to say, I need to exercise persistence and patience at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's great. And self-care, because sometimes we can Mm. put too much pressure on ourselves to, uh, as you said, you know, run that sprint when really it is a marathon and we need that balance. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So what's something you wish, Tanya, you knew earlier? 
Oh, gosh, that's an endless list. Um, <laughs> Tell us some of the things then. <laughs> well, I mean, I, one thing in particular really stands out for me. I really wish I had known this earlier in my career. And that is, and it, it's, I've been fortunate enough to really learn at a deep level having joined Catalyst, but it's, it's having had a much greater understanding of the power and impact of bias on workplace and societal outcome, number tell us one. More, but tell us more about that. Well, so I spent many, many years in the executive search industry. And I, during that time, I thought I was a real, A, egalitarian, and B, champion of women. Mm-hmm. And yet, if I reflect on that time now, I know that I was always driven to do the best work I could for my clients, but was it always egalitarian? Was it always providing equal access of opportunity to others? If I'm honest with myself, no, I don't think so. And, and it, that didn't, I'd like to think that didn't come from a bad place, but it came from a place of expediency and efficiency and what was my client telling me and was I really challenging their views and perspectives? And so it kind of leads me to the, to the second thing. So I, I wish I'd understood the that, that power and impact of bias, but perhaps even more importantly, I wish I had really understood my role in those outcomes and my ability to affect change. Mm. All of the work we do around advancing women, advancing inclusion, advancing, you know, access of opportunity for all people, I believe comes down to individual acts that each one of us can take. And yes, we work with companies to ensure that they have uh, appropriate HR processes and policies and hiring practices and promotion practices. But so much of this comes from what are the individual acts that we undertake every day? It's a bit like this, you know, notion of acts of kindness, right? What is what if you add all of those up over the course of a day, a week, a month, and a year, they can make huge change. Mm-hmm. The same is true for an environment you create within your workplace. It's a thousand little microaggressions that take people down. If we switched that and had a thousand little microaffirmations, we would have a very different picture. So I wish I had really understood my own role and culpability and ability to affect change. Wow, absolutely. So, Tanya, you're an active volunteer in your community. You mentioned Covenant House. What is volunteering given to you, and how do you decide where to share your time and talents? Because no doubt many people are knocking on your door to get your expertise. Janice, I know I should have a really strategic answer for this question. No, no you don't have to. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> so maybe I'll start with the second question first. How do I decide where to share yeah. my time and talents? I think I have been, in some ways, I have been reactionary in that I have had outreach come from people who uh, I have a relationship with, or, you know, uh, they mean something to me either in the current context of Catalyst or in my prior life. And they've asked me to do something 
And I said, yes. So mm-hmm. I've sort of fallen into a couple of things. I've had that experience non- too. And it's yeah, actually opened up my world. Strategic. Yeah, no, but it's actually right. been so incredible. <laughs> you know, maybe if I was being strategic, I would have missed uh, the beauty of, of those opportunities. Well, I'm glad you makes me feel better that you say that because I, I think really that's exactly it sort of cascades into your first question of what has it given you? Mm -hmm. So Covenant House is an example of that where a former business acquaintance of mine contacted me. So I truly acquaintance, not friend, but acquaintance. Mm -hmm. And he contacted me and he said, I want to get more women involved at Covenant House. I want to get them more involved in the, the annual executive sleep out. And uh, you know women, he said, you run Catalyst, so you must know women, so can you get involved? So I became involved that way, and the first year that I was involved, I was completely blown away by the work that Covenant House does, which I had kind of known at a and high level. why don't you say, say specifically for people who may not know so, what yeah, so Covenant, I mean, there are Covenant Houses in, in many cities uh, across North America. Covenant House of Toronto would do similar work to the one in Vancouver, the one in New York, the one in Chicago. Um, but the Covenant House really supports homeless youth. And those homeless youth are there for a whole variety of reasons. It could be a crisis situation. Uh, they serve uh, a tremendous number of young women who find themselves involved in sex trafficking. They serve a huge community of LGBTQ youth who have been thrown out of their homes because that's just unacceptable in their families. So there's a whole range of young people who find themselves without a home and are looking to rebuild their lives. So I came into Covenant House and what I didn't appreciate was A, the number of youth that they help over the course of a year and just the sheer size of the operation. They have 300 staff that work 24-7, 365. Wow, that's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, they're turning kids away all the time for capacity reasons. Anyway, I was really um, uh, felt very humbled and educated in the first year, and particularly around this issue of sex trafficking in the city of Toronto. It is a gigantic issue. I did not know that. uh, We're not hearing about that. Who's talking about this? So CBC has covered it. CBC has covered it, um, um, but it needs to be talked about much more because uh, Toronto is actually emerging as a global hub for sex trafficking. Oh my gosh. And yeah, and the profile of these young women and the profile of the traffickers are much different, I think, than, you know, what Hollywood might portray. Mm -hmm. Um, These are, you know, they're, they're, they're men who are preying on women with vulnerabilities, um, but you know they could they could they could be just as easily your niece, your daughter, you know whatever. And it's a it's an awful business. I mean, needless to say. Mm-hmm. So that has motivated me to really stay involved, and I'm happy to say I've I've got a a number of women who are now getting more involved uh, because well, I mean it's. Anybody should care about this, Absolutely. but all genders should care about this because all genders are affected by uh, youth homelessness. Is that, and sorry to lo- jump in, Tanya, is that when you mm-hmm. slept outside? Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. that, okay. All right. So that was for mm-hmm. Covenant House, putting the profile on Correct. it. A lot of amazing exactly. women, absolutely in the Toronto community, been very active in participating in that. Yeah. And we need more. We need more. 
we need more people who are aware of the issue. I mean, there are endless number of, of important causes to support. Uh, this is one of them. But anyway, that, that's, that's been a, so what has that volunteer in yeah. given to me? Um, mm-hmm. When I sit and speak to these young people and uh, the, their ability to overcome tragedy uh, is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And it reminds me that uh, I've, one, been an incredibly fortunate individual by virtue of having been born into a loving family and uh, having a roof over my head and a warm place to sleep and dinner at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these kids are exceptional. These kids are the kinds of kids you would want working in your organization and contributing and, um, and they just, they just need a chance to rebuild their lives. So it's been incredibly educational and humbling and rewarding. So that's that's one example. But then I'm also involved in the Canadian Club of Toronto. And what I love about that organization is that, the, you know, the mission there is to engage Canadians on what matters most. So we are always in pursuit of finding speakers and topics and uh, venues to talk about issues of the day, which could be related to uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women, the economy, uh, the oil and gas sector and pipelines, uh, you know, anything and everything that is affecting us as Canadians. So that's just a really, it's a great sort of intellectual charge to think about what we should all be talking about and be concerned about. So you mentioned uh, your uh, lovely childhood uh, take us back mm. to the 10-year-old you. What was that girl like? Where did you live? What were you into? Yeah. So we, uh, I've moved a lot. Well, my family moved a lot. Mm-hmm. What's um, a lot? But, uh, well, so uh, let's see. I was born in the UK mm-hmm. and then moved to Holland. And then we moved Montreal, Sarnia, Calgary, Toronto, Calgary, back to Toronto. So we, yeah, I mean, not maybe as much as a kid who was a product of a service man or woman, but we moved a fair bit. That's a ton. That's a ton of moving. That makes you a resilient kid. Well, I think it can go either way. We, we were, we, I think again, we got the lucky stick there, but so when I was 10, we lived in Montreal mm-hmm. and um, I was, again, I'm the product of three kids. So two older brothers. I was a latchkey kid. I was, my father was working. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And my mother was completing her university degree, which actually is, has always been a a source of inspiration to me because she is the oldest of three kids. And uh, she, as the girl in the family, her Dutch parents, father in particular made the decision that there was no point in her going to university because of course she would get married. And so that would be a waste of money. And so, uh, in her adult life, after having kids, she, she went to university and got her degree. And so that was a great sort of role modeling for us. So I was a latchkey kid that was mostly trying to either keep up with or dodge my brothers, depending (laughs) on the day. And their moods and <laughs> uh, yeah, they could, they could pack a punch in my right arm for sure. What about sports? I was a competitive swimmer. Mm-hmm. I was a competitive swimmer, but I was, I was a chubby competitive swimmer. Okay. <laughs> Which is a bad combo. I will tell you there were no Olympics in my future. Um, 
But I, but it is what I did. I swam, and I that I was passionate about that, and uh, I was. I had I had a reasonable singing voice, so I was involved in a couple of school choirs. Wow! But that was kind of my and I and I was serious about school. I was kind of an intense student. A's, all A's. Well, I can't. I can't tell. I probably. I'm sure there were a couple B's that snuck their way in there. But yeah, I took. I school was a sort of a serious thing for me. That's yeah. wonderful. It's great when you can find that interest and passion and be able to pursue it. Yeah, yeah. So now with your work, to go back to Catalyst, how do we engage men in the conversations around diversity, inclusion, equity, and equality? And I know you have so many important companies and amazing male CEOs that are uh, very active in Catalyst Canada. But mm-hmm. what, in your view, um, how, do we, how do we take that further and engage our yeah. male colleagues? We, we've been doing research at Catalyst on this since probably 2008. Um, and uh, we have a wonderful program called Mark Leaders, M-A-R-C, Men Advocating Real Change. Mm. And this has been a real game changer when we work with companies. So the premise of all of this engaging men research that we've done is, one, you have to have very open dialogue, not debate, not discussion, but dialogue where you're actually opening up a real uh, conversation, because what we have learned over years of doing research around men and the topic of, in particular, gender equity, is that there are some real barriers that men experience that we need to put out on the table, acknowledge that they're there, and then talk about them. And they are uh, ignorance, apathy, and fear. And I don't say those pejoratively. Um, I mean, the ignorance one comes from this whole gender thing seems to be about women and I'm not a woman and therefore, you know, I don't really get it and it doesn't really seem to involve me, right? So I don't, I'm not going to step into that conversation because I, it doesn't seem to be about me. Mm-hmm. Um, apathy sort of related, like what's in it for me? It all seems to be about women and I'm a man and so what's kind of the personal relevance to me? And then the third and most substantial one is fear, which has to do with, uh, I'm fearful that I might say the wrong thing at the wrong time and be voted off the island, or I may say something and be ridiculed by my, my peers, or I fear that I may lose my own status and position power. And so those three things have really driven a lot of our subsequent research around how to build conversations that are inclusive of everyone. Um, and there, there are really three things that I would point to that are game changers around getting men more involved. One is we need to discourage the notion of zero-sum thinking. If I win, you lose, yeah. and therefore it's a, you know, it's a, a dog-eat-dog world. Mm-hmm. So getting away from that notion of zero-sum thinking is critically important. And I would say that's very true of a binary gender conversation, it's equally true when we're talking about issues of immigration, right? So if if I feel like someone else is going to come into the country and take my job, this notion of zero-sum thinking, it keeps Canada small. Yes. And we have to be very, very cautious about that. So the second, the second thing is provo- we know that there is substantive change in how men view gender balance and gender partnerships 
if they have women mentors or bosses in their lives. So if, if men have reported to women over time or they've had, you know, important women in their lives, be they professional or otherwise, that can be game changing for their view of gender partnership. And then finally, finding personal relevance for men in this discussion is also critically important. Um, you know, the, it is part of the human condition to look for a what's in it for me kind of concept. Mm-hmm. That's not a gendered thing. That's not, that's not exclusive that's to men. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's human. Yeah. And so um, finding personal relevance and getting away from talking about gender, like only women have a gender. Obviously, men have a gender too. And of course, today, gender is a fluid thing, right? So mm-hmm. um, being able to relate to the fact that we all have gender attributes and that we need to be able to talk about that, those more openly. So those are three really important things. And certainly what I find by and large is that most men out there want to contribute and to participate. And, and what they're looking for is the language and the tools to be able to do so. And that is not to say that sexism doesn't still exist in the workplace and in society. It absolutely does. But I would argue that most men actually want to engage in this discussion of how to advance all genders and are simply looking for the tools and the language. Yeah, I would agree. Very powerful. Thank you for outlining that because the more that we can engage men in these conversations, uh, the better Canada will be. So final question Tanya, what mm-hmm. is your dream for Canada? Janice, for me, it's three words. It's unity, equity, and prosperity. I believe so deeply in this country, and I, I am I'm a Canadian citizen, but I am an immigrant to Canada. And I am the most fortunate person to have come, to have had my parents bring us here. And that story is a Canadian dream story in that my father wanted to live in Canada from a very young age because the Canadians liberated the Dutch in the war. Mm -hmm. And that was never lost on him. And so from a very young age, he wanted to live here. So he married someone who had, you know, an adventurous spirit and signed on to the program. And we were all born in Europe, but they brought us here. And that is the single greatest gift I think that they've given us. We are so fortunate to live in Canada. We have so many opportunities and resources and capabilities. I mean, in many, if all you need to do is step outside of this country with one toe to know how fortunate we are. And we have to seize on that. Now more than ever, this country needs to be focused on unity, equity, and prosperity. It's such a beautiful dream for Canada, Tanya. Tanya Van oh. Beeson, you've inspired, you've informed, you've uh, really been an incredible guest. It has been a, a total honor to have you on the show today. Executive Director of Catalyst Canada, Tanya Van Beeson, thank you again for being on the Fearless Women podcast. Oh, Janice, thank you for the work that you're doing. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening. We want our community to grow. Tell your friends, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter at fearlesswomenpodcast.com to get the early scoop. 
Thanks again to our amazing sponsors, 30% Club Canada, BDC, Lockheed Martin, Export Development Canada, and ADGA. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating. I'm Janice McDonald. Stay fearless. Thank you to the 30% Club Canada for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. The 30% Club believes that gender balance on boards and in senior management not only encourages better leadership and governance, but diversity further contributes to better all-around board performance and ultimately increased corporate performance for both companies and their shareholders. Want to learn more? Visit their website, 30percentclub.org, and select the Canada chapter to find out about membership, supporters, and key resources. Thank you to Export Development Canada, the international risk experts, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. Supporting Canadian companies of all sizes succeed on the world stage. EDC takes your worries away and helps you grow your business with confidence. When your business has no borders, neither does your potential. Find out more at edc.ca slash women in trade. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, for your support of the Fearless Women podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.